it. It's because the structure and the incentives have been set in motion to serve another purpose rather than people's health. Besides the explosion of medical company monopolies, not much has changed with medicine in my lifetime. I was born in 95. My boomer parents took pills for everything and they encouraged me to. Mention of a headache gets an ibuprofen rather than a glass of water. Even at a young age, I was obsessed with primitive people and I wondered how they survived without our modern medicine or even toothpaste. It was only once I was much older that I realized that much of the problems we have are due to our modern life and the way we live, and our culture decided the best solution was to pop pills and make $400 rubber insoles rather than actually change the culture to just not create those problems that require industrial solutions. I'm Sam, and this is the Illegitimate Scholar Podcast, the weekly cultural anthropology and history podcast that makes sense of our senseless world through indigenous and historical examples academic methods and social science, and a perspective not limited by the crushing restrictions that come with traditional academia and public schools. Today we are going to talk traditional medicine, the pros and cons, and what it can and can't do. Then, where our modern health system comes from, what the nature of our health culture is, and why people are so fat and miserable in the... So I'm doing the podcast outside today. Uh, So, sorry if the audio is a little screwed up. We'll see. Maybe I'll never do it again. Maybe I'll do it all the time. Um... Maybe there'll be some birds behind me if you're watching the video version. Uh, yeah, okay. So traditional medical practices. The WHO, I know, they're a crappy globalist organization, but we're just going to go with their definition of traditional medicine because it's a good one. The sum total of the knowledge, skills, and practices based on the theories, beliefs, and experiences indigenous to different cultures, whether explicable or not, used in the maintenance of health as well as in the prevention, diagnosis, improvement, or treatment of physical and mental illness. So tradition is something that we talk about often. And basically, tradition is just over time, there are laws, there are customs, not laws, but there are customs that build up and those become basically what people do. And there are traditions for politics. There's traditions for how trade is done. There's traditions for religion. It's pretty much everything cultural originally comes from a tradition and eventually it becomes something different once it's being codified into things like laws, other things that we have today, like constitutions and and everything. Um, So it builds up, it just builds up over time kind of naturally. And, you know, this happens with food systems that people have. Uh, It solves the problem whether or not they know exactly how it's solving the problem. For example, like in the navies of like the 16, 1700s, they would eat fresh fruit. They didn't know why, but they they knew it stopped scurvy eventually. So they were doing it for a while and they didn't know what it was. Then they figured out it was the fruit and then they used it to fight off scurvy. But they didn't know that it was vitamin C. Now we know that, but that's that's through our modern way of understanding things. They wouldn't have needed to understand the reason. They would just know this stops scurvy, which is what we need for long voyages. So we got to figure out this problem. This solves this problem, whatever. Maybe it's magic. So uh, early medicine comes in the form of medicinal herbs. And again, when I'm saying medicine here, I'm talking about like the culture of medicine because it's more than just, when I say medicine, don't think like a pill. Don't think ibuprofen because it's way more than that. And we're going to talk about shamans and pills and we're going to also going to talk about like herbs and stuff. But herbs we're going to talk about right now. So there was evidence of medicinal herbs in Sumeria like 5,000 years ago. There's evidence of these early civilizations, the Sumerians and after them, pretty much all over the world. 
using these herbs and some of them have active properties in them that we can uh, detect today. Some of them became the basis for modern modern medications. Um, These are in China, Greece, Rome, they're everywhere. And even today, 70 to 80% of Africa's emerging urban and rural population rely on traditional herbal medicine for health intervention, Uh, which is a quote from a from a medical anthropologist. So they're still being used today. And I'm going to read another quote by a uh, bio or a, excuse me, a medical anthropologist from Africa. His name is Maurice M. Iwu. Herbal remedies are increasingly being accepted as therapeutic agents in modern biomedicine. And we're going to define that in a second. Such herbal ingredients can be assessed rationally by studying their pharmacology ecology and chemistry, but their use in such a reductionist manner obscures the real value of a system of medicine that is based on persistent faith in the natural order of the world and in healing symbols that serve as points of contact between the physical world and the spiritual realm. And we'll talk about what the spiritual realm is in a second, because it's very important to a whole health approach. And I'm not talking about like ghosts and shit. I mean, a little bit of ghosts and shit, but not just ghosts. Okay. Um, The treatment of diseases is not a matter that rests only between the healer and his patient. The healing ritual, whether pharmacological or spiritual, only reflects a recognition or identification of what stage of the multi-layered matrix of human life and existence has become dysfunctional and and at what layer the treatment is being targeted. So go back to the beginning of that quote there. So there, what he's saying here is that the culture behind the herbs and the whatever medicine, the rituals, those are very important. And, you know, we know about the placebo effect today, where if someone thinks the medicine is going to work, then it tends to work for some reason. And that's what a lot of this stuff probably is, not all of it, but a lot of this is probably like people think, okay, I go here to get healed and they're going to give me a medicine and maybe the medicine works, maybe it doesn't, maybe it's just a placebo. But either way, even if the medicine does work, if they believe it's going to work, if they believe in the spiritual power um, that this shaman or healer has, then it's more likely to work better. And sometimes there's just nothing they can do about it um, besides maybe provide like solace or something while they're passing on. But even that is culturally informed, and that's that's part of the the health. So this is a very whole health approach. He's talking about the spiritual realm. And, you know, at a certain level, yes, it's stuff like shamanistic communicating with another realm, which you would do with like psychedelics. I'm not talking about like literally going through a portal and communicating with another realm, but a new state of consciousness, which is what happens through drugs, um, whether hallucinogens or not, you're entering an altered state of consciousness, even with caffeine. And I mean, this is mental health in the modern world. Um, there, there are things that are are not physical that need to be solved, and and there's a relation between the physical and the spiritual or the mental. You know, you can have physiological problems as a result of having mental issues. If you're really stressed, you're really upset, it will affect your body in certain ways. So, and then there's the other side of the spiritual realm which is the idea of spirit possession. And it might sound ridiculous, but um, spirit possession is something that is very common throughout cultures. It's in Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, shamanistic animism in uh, traditional places, like, uh, I mean, everywhere in the world, basically. I mean, these were in the Americas, these were in Africa, these were in uh, 
These were in pagan Europe. These were in the Middle East prior, you know. These are traditions about people being possessed by spirits and, you know, performing an exorcism could be one thing to get to get rid of the spirits. And, you know, this could be a literal spirit, something that we truly don't understand. But some of it is probably just people having mental health issues like schizophrenia or something like that or some sort of psychotic break and whatever the rituals that they had. I mean, there's a reason this happened on every continent in the world in diverse human populations uh, and were invented separately. There's something innately about this that draws humans in. And there's there's another layer to this, which is like today we have like we know that if there's swelling, you take ibuprofen, the swelling goes down. Although long term, there's been some recent research that shows that maybe it's not the best thing because it's fighting your bodies. I, I digress. But there's often rituals associated with things that are outside of your control. And based on technological levels, there's a lot of issues that we have in the modern world, like with antibiotics, or that we can solve with things like antibiotics very easily. But a lot of these things hundreds of years ago would have been a much bigger deal. And if you don't understand what's happening, there's nothing to do about it, then there's often ritual associated with it. And this isn't just true in medicine. This is true in things like baseball. Uh, famously, there are a lot of rituals associated with baseball. But what anthropologists found is that in baseball, the only time that there are rituals, that there are superstitions, is the parts of the game that the players have less control over. So batting, where a, if you hit the ball three out of ten times, you're a great batter, right? So Or decent. And... I don't know. I don't watch baseball. Somebody's going to be yelling at their phone right now. Um, but they don't have rituals associated with outfielding because there's more skill involved in that. And today, what we found is that even through our modern methods of judging things, that uh, some of these methods, some of these traditional methods are legit. They've been doing therapy with MDMA and with... Um, the MDMA, the other one, uh, mushrooms, a few others, I think, uh, ketamine even, which I thought was a tranquilizer. Um, never taken ketamine, but apparently they're they're using it in therapy a lot for PTSD, I guess. I am once again asking you to get on the Discord server if you haven't already. I really enjoy what people have to say, and I love that it's a place where a lot of times people are talking in like long form content, which is awesome. Um, you know, it's it's been more active i love that you know i really appreciate everyone who's contributed recently and i just want to thank you by name uh dan dan danzy smooth cat craig t-rex brett doug dimidome the owner of the dimsdale dimidome chris from hungary razendal he's a nerd uh honky donkey soapy the cult of carlin guys great podcast uh paolo obviously from paolo g rants nomad dad heel turner moon master i think that's taryn and uh louie from the philippines recently thank you so much guys i appreciate it before they were mixing like mdma with modern therapy and doing it with modern medicines a few hundred years ago we had traditional western folk medicine remedies uh, home remedies. I mean, we still have some home remedies today. Your mom might have given you a spoonful of sugar. Uh, you might have put some Windex on it. Bonus points if you can tell me what that's a reference to. Um, but now our culture is different. There's not a culture of a home remedy, you know. 
if it's not manufactured by a corporation and proven by regulations, then is it really even real? Uh, we have a culture of regulation is what we have in, in 2023, and that's been around for a little while. And we're going to go back in time and, and go back to the 1800s. And in the 1800s, there were still a lot of home remedies. I mean, there were doctors, but, you know, the doctors were just doctors. Today, we consider a to be a physician, you have to be certified by a board, like a, like a lawyer, uh, similar thing to the lawyers, I think. Someone's probably going to tell me that's wrong, but they seem similar to me. Uh, and I am the master of my own opinions and facts, and th that's the fact to me. Uh, but in 1847, the American Medical Association and other medical associations, uh, they were formed at this time. The American Medical Association was one of many at the time. They become more powerful. We're going to explain why. But at this point, there were lots of traditional home remedies. There was lots of doctors going around selling medicine that may or may not have worked. There might have been arsenic in it. You know, you didn't know. You didn't know. It's before this regulation. Aren't we so happy that we live in a time now that the government can tell us what's safe and we'll know it's safe? Yeah. Um, so they lobby the government for regulation. All these organizations do. And they start creating a criteria for how doctors apprentice and go to medical school and become practicing doctors and they decide who can't, you know. And and this goes on for some time, but it really accelerates in the early 20th century. By this point, there had they had created a lot of schools. They had created a lot of medical schools and they had many different methods they were using, but they weren't really doing apprenticeships before, which is where the physicians would have come from. And they weren't really allowing um, some of the like traditional healers to practice that they would have been. I'm sure in many places in the country, these people were shut down. And a lot of them are probably not even written about anywhere. Um, so what happens is, once again, the Carnegies and the Rockefellers get involved. I was really surprised to find that here. I shouldn't have been surprised. But I was. Um, so there's funding from the Carnegies and the Rockefellers, and they want to control through standardization. And they lobby for government control of these medical schools and a standardization towards what we are going to discuss in a moment, what I talked about earlier, which is biomedicine. Um, so in 1904, there are 166 medical schools. By 1915, there was only 104, and by 1930, there was only 76. Uh, 26 years of time, and most medical schools in the United States closed. Part of this was in part due to the Flexner Report in 1910. This was funded by Carnegie and Rockefeller, and it aimed to attack quackery there was an anti-quackery campaign and some of you might have heard about this oh there were all these these crazy remedies where people would put a bunch of like they would put like crushed toads into a container and it was a glass container and you'd buy it for 25 cents and it would turn your piss green and um but it's possible a lot of that was propaganda it's really hard to tell but what, what ended up happening is people that weren't playing ball, medical schools that weren't playing ball and leading towards this standardization, they, um, you know, they went away, unfortunately. And it ends up where everyone is just into this biomedicine thing. And what's important is that Rockefeller owns 90% of the oil refineries in the U.S. And biomedicine is a lot of petroleum byproducts, which you would have and have to do something with and potentially make money off of if you are 
Rockefeller and you own all the refineries. And I don't think that's the only important thing, but I came across it and the economic incentives are clearly there. So the death of traditional medicine in the West, in America, I guess, it, it was killed by special interests for profit. And it was rather than being grown through tradition, which generally, you know, there's other ulterior motives. There always is power and things like that. But over time, they were generally grown to help people. And maybe that was true in the 19th century as well. And modern medicine obviously has a lot of good things for people. But certain parts of the system are not actually serving the health of the people. And they're rather serving these special interests. You know, and I think that this inevitably leads to bad, bad out outcomes. And it's because the structure and the incentives have been set in motion to serve another purpose rather than people's health, rather than the stated reason. Um, they're, they're created to serve a different purpose. In this case, it's profit. And over time, that tends to accelerate. And it becomes this, this rolling snowball that gets larger and larger. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing today. So we also have a culture around healing in the West and a culture around health. And, you know, you can say that maybe a doctor's job isn't whole health, but it kind of is. Or at least they replaced the people in society and got rid of their industry, got rid of the people who were serving that purpose. And they took over, the medical industry took over a lot of these things that they weren't traditionally therefore like there's nutritionism and there's nutrition science and that's part of this medical system that they've created and it's it's done through the same incentives of of biomedicine and they've taken people's health under their control and it just doesn't work you know half the people are obese they have the food pyramid where they tell you what to eat but ultimately the entire culture accepts eating things that make them fat and living a lifestyle that makes them fat Obesity is all is, is up and it's going up. Um, mental health problems are rising and they're highest among young people. You know, doctors, if doctors had a whole health approach, they wouldn't be calling for these lockdowns because of the danger of the, the disease of COVID. But in, they didn't care about the spiritual aspect of it. You know, a lot of traditional societies, even ones like Hasidic Jews, they'd refuse to shut down. They weren't going to do that. And good for them. Um, but doctors made themselves responsible for all these things. And then doctors in the medical industry, they failed. Um, you know, the organization, the American Medical Association, made up of doctors, they, they stopped other people from doing these jobs, from filling these roles. They took them on and they failed at doing them. So what is our culture around health and what are the related incentives? So we got biomedicine. And this, I talked about this briefly before, this was started in the early 20th century, a lot of it petroleum byproducts. So th this is done through the scientific method, done through studies. A lot of times the medical industry, they will do a study, not publish it, and then do a different one and get the results they want somehow. And they, they don't keep all the ones. They just, they want to make profit, okay? Uh, pills, they, they make stuff into pills. It's easy to sell, easy to package. Um, it's... It's proof through the scientific method that's what's required. Traditional medicine, there isn't proof in the same way. Or sometimes there can be, but a lot of times there isn't. Um, you can't do homeopathic stuff. That, that stuff was made illegal. It was monopolized. Everything was monopolized by the industry for profit. Um, 
Pain management, this is a big thing. If you've seen anything on the drug epidemic, on opioids being pushed by doctors after those doctors being pushed by uh, pill sellers, those pill sellers pushed by insurance agencies and the Procter and Gamble and people creating these pills, they created this idea and got it pushed through because they can influence the kind of knowledge that is created through the universities. These pills got sold. Pain was something that they needed to be gotten rid of. Pain management was something that doctors needed to be doing for their patients. They formed this culture around managing pain and that being done through opiates, through these pills. And they got generations addicted to these opiate pills. And now a bunch of people are zombies and a bunch of them are got on heroin and then fentanyl. And a lot of them are dead and people are dying. It's one of the, the highest um, causes of death. And most of them start on regular opiates. Um, you know, and at least the quarterly profits are up for the medical industry. So insurance, it's a bad system. They lobbied. <laughs> they, the AMA, the American Medical Association, they go after or they go for the insurance company's interests in certain ways. Um, it's not in line with what's best for patients. One of the biggest aspects of our culture is any deviation from a norm is considered a problem. And what I mean by that, here's the best example, is like ADD. If you have a kid in school and they can't sit down for eight hours and pay attention to someone talking about crap that doesn't matter and they're not really that good at it, then that's a deviation from the norm. They have ADD. They're hyper. They need this pill. Because again, biomedicine. So all of it works in conjunction, okay? It's a deviation from a norm. This is the norm. That means if you're deviating from that norm, you're wrong. It's anti-diversity, number one. But it, it's a result of standardization where we, they have this one-size-fits-all approach, and that's what happens in school. And if you can't do that one-size-fits-all, then the culture tells you there's something wrong with you. Um, you know, and that sucks. And, and whatever. But in, in some traditional societies, I'm not saying this is the best way to deal with it. I don't really know the details of how this works in practice, but this is just an example. Uh, you know, number one, ADD might have been a plus in uh, a hunter-gatherer society somehow. But also, um, it's possible that even someone with something very serious like schizophrenia would uh, be given some sort of spiritual role in that society. And that spiritual role could be in line with, with how they act. And like we talked about a little bit, the point of the medical industry is for profit, ultimately. I, I'm not saying nurses and doctors, that's, that's their ultimate goal. I mean, I think it is. But I'm not saying that. I'm saying the industry as a whole, it's created to function that way. So a doctor is not going to recommend a low-cost solution. They're not going to be as aware of as many. Uh, and it's not entirely their fault. They're responding to the incentive as well. They get information on cures. Uh, the culture of med school steers them towards biomedicine. These low-cost cures, they don't make any money for the medical industry. So they're not even going to be studied. Um, if they are studied, which sometimes they are, uh, there isn't as much money, as much funding for them, then they're not going to be encouraged by any sort of company. I mean, the system is not set up to encourage a solution that costs little money because it's not going to make any money for anybody. And the whole system is built up around people spending money on other things. And, and this isn't just the medical industry, but it's the medical industry. 
I mean, ultimately, I think that there should be a broad cultural understanding that corporations exist to make money, and we should be much more skeptical about the choices that they make. I mean, I'm talking about the medical industry now, and if I had done this three or four years ago, then people who call themselves Democrats would have been on my side about this. They, they were always rightfully talking about the corruption in the medical industry, but now it seems like they've Pfizer is like protected now because they made the vaccines, even though they made the vaccines for profit and they made record profits from it. And the incentives there are to get it into as many people as possible. Um, and that's a that's a part of it. This thing wasn't primarily about vaccines, but the medical industry and, and what it is and, and what it encourages includes our culture around vaccines and our culture around government control. I say culture so much that I just sometimes it doesn't come out right. Um, so the bottom, what's the bottom line? And and the bottom line is essentially that it's not just to go to homeopathic medicine because traditional medicine, there's plenty of failures in there as well. There's plenty of people out there trying to make money and, and sell you garbage. But I think that the bottom line is is finding a better way to analyze your health and understanding when you need traditional medicine and when you need biomedicine. But the problem is that if you get it wrong, then you might die. Like you could die if you need like biomedicine, modern medical attention, and you go to a traditional medical thing as well. You could also potentially die if you go to a hospital for whatever reason. Medical pluralism is the idea that you uh, use what's best for you culturally uh, for your whole health. And, and that really comes down to just doing what's best for you, what makes sense for you, what makes you comfortable, safe, happy, and healthy. Um, and that's really what health should be about. And that spiritual element is important. And it is tied to your physiological health as well. So next week, I'm going to do a more broad, like, tradition. I've been talking a lot about tradition, so I think I need to do just an episode on like tradition and how it builds up. So next week, we're going to talk about how modern society rejects human nature and the consequences of that and how it does that. Uh, as always, all the sources are on the Discord, and please join the Discord to see all my sources and to participate in the discussion. Thanks a lot.